This is Africa Digest. It is 17 hours Central African time. Every good afternoon and welcome to it. It's Africa Digest here on Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And we are also online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Luyanda Maume and with me on the show is Jualani Tulo, Wisani Matebula and Mosibudi Makura. Your top stories now. South African president calls on everyone to emulate the late struggle stalwart Winnie Matigizela Mandela. IT specialist says allegations that data analysis firm Cambridge Analytica might have influenced some elections in Africa should be taken seriously. You know, economics, uh, Egypt's annual ebb and consumer price inflation falls to its lowest rate since 2016 and in sport, another good day for South Africa at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Details on these and other stories as we progress with the show, but right now, it's time for your news. Here's Shalani Tulo. Thank you, Leanda. Good afternoon. A committee of lawmakers in Zimbabwe is expected to summon former President Robert Mugabe to testify at a probe into lost revenue from diamond mining. The lawmakers plan to question Mugabe over his 2016 claim that the country had lost $15 billion in income from diamonds due to corruption and foreign exploitation. No date has yet been set to call Mugabe to testify. The committee has already summoned former ministers, ex-police chiefs and heads of several government departments. The United Nations says thousands of people are being detained and tortured by armed groups in Libya. The BBC's Emojan Folks has more. Successive Libyan governments have relied on numerous armed groups for law enforcement. Thousands of men, women and children have been indefinitely detained and there are widespread allegations of deaths in detention. Hundreds of bodies, many with their hands bound and bearing signs of torture, have been found. The UN says people are regularly detained solely because of family connections or political affiliations. It is calling on the Libyan authorities to release all those unlawfully detained and to ensure accountability for human rights violations. At least 14 people have sustained burns in a fresh outbreak of fires at a camp housing tens of thousands of people displaced by Boko Haram jihadists in northeast Nigeria. The outbreak comes just two weeks after a blaze at the camp located at Ran, east of the Bonos Cap- uh, rather east of the Bono State capital, Maiduguri, killed five people. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in a memo states that over 1,000 shelters have been burned. The cause of the fires is reportedly from flying embers. Over 70 ambassadors and heads of missions have paid tribute to the late South African struggle veteran Winnie Matigizela Mandela. These diplomats around the continent from Asia, Europe, South and North Korea were led by the Dean of the, Dipl- of the Diplomatic Corps in South Africa and the DRC Ambassador Ben Mpoko to the Mandela home in Soweto this afternoon. They were accompanied by senior officials from the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. Speaking on behalf of the diplomats, Ambassador Mpoko says Africa must build a statue for Mamuini for the generations to see what she stood for. Her life needs to be celebrated because she won the battle. Today South Africa is free because she contributed a lot among other leaders of the world of Africa. The image she leaves with us is that defiant fist and their big beautiful smile that she carried out during the struggle period. I'm hoping as an African that one day the continent will build a monument of Mama Winnie Mandela to depict their defined face for future generations to see what she stood for, what she accomplished on this continent. The United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for international investigators to have unfettered access after an alleged chemical attack in Syria. Rescuers in the town of Doma say more than 40 people died after the alleged poison gas attack in the last rebel-held pocket of, of the one-time opposition stronghold of eastern Gotha. Russia has reportedly said that uh, the, rather the attack was fabricated by rebels. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov says their Syrian allies would welcome an investigation. И чтобы все это было транспарентно и по-честному, 
In order that everything is transparent and above board, we will today submit a draft resolution to the Security Council demanding precisely that sort of investigation in response to a direct invitation from the Syrian government, which, as you know, even today, was prepared to welcome experts on the ground. And finally, Channel Africa will be streaming the official national memorial service of the late South African struggle icon, Winnie Matigizela Mandela, on Wednesday, the 11th of April. The stream will be live on both the station's website as well as Facebook. Follow the proceedings on www.channelafrica.co.za and on, and on Channel Africa, the Facebook account. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Let's say thank you very much there to Joala Nechulo with that uh, news bulletin and uh, get straight on to our first story. But before we get there, let's remind you that you can keep in touch with us on the show. You can send us an email. It's info at channelafrica.co.za and also on, channel, on, on, on Twitter, you can find us at channelafrica1. South Africa's IT and communication specialist Arthur Goldstock says allegation that data analysis firm Cambridge Analytica might have been involved in trying to influence the outcome of some elections in Africa should be taken seriously. Goldstock was reacting to reports that the UK-based firm improperly accessed data from social media network Facebook to manipulate voters ahead of presidential elections in Nigeria and Kenya. The scandal has made international headlines with with the firm also being accused of influencing US President Donald Trump's election win and the outcome of Brexit referendum in Britain. Goldstock says Facebook violated ethical standards and surrendered its reputation to entities focused on the disruption of democracy in Africa and should be held accountable. We're now seeing that uh, between 80 and 90 million people had their Facebook accounts compromised in this way. Not that these people could access their accounts, but rather that they could extract information about these Facebook users, but also any friends of those users. For example, in South Africa, only 33 people downloaded the app, but uh, something like 59,000 people were affected because of people in other countries worldwide who downloaded the app. So in Nigeria, you can expect similar kinds of numbers for um, how many people may have been receiving this kind of messaging from Cambridge Analytica without realizing they were being manipulated. Now, with Kenya and Nigeria having significantly been impacted by this uh, data breach, uh, do you think this points to a lack of effective data protection frameworks here on the continent? Uh, could this have been avoided had our laws been a bit more effective? There was nothing that we could have done about it in countries like Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa because the compromise of the data happened at Facebook itself. And it was a British company using a researcher who had accessed Facebook in the United States who manipulated this data and then targeted all these users. So for once, it's not the fault of African countries. It's very much a a first world or industrialized world um, attempt to manipulate uh, developments elsewhere and to try and direct the uh, political conversation and people's political leanings in uh, those countries. Now, some observers have been saying that Cambridge Analytica's role in Africa has been somewhat uh, exaggerated. Do you share this sentiment, Mr. Goldstock? I don't think one can exaggerate enough um, how uh, devious and uh, unethical this behavior has been. What may well be exaggerated is the impact that they had, but the significance of what they were doing um, cannot be overstated in terms of uh, showing the extent to which entities like that are able to manipulate voters and manipulate elections. And we have no idea how much further this goes. We saw in South Africa, for example, where the British public relations firm, Bell Pottinger, used Twitter to manipulate voters, to manipulate the narrative in, in this country, and in fact created massive racial divisions through the narrative that they 
created. So we can ex- expect that this kind of thing is in fact happening even more broadly. This scandal has undoubtedly dealt Facebook brand a big blow. Do you think Facebook will ever recover from this scandal, Arthur? Facebook will certainly recover. The issue is what the impact will be on its advertising revenue. And we've already seen a lot of advertisers withdrawing their advertising from places like Facebook and YouTube where they see toxic content uh, being distributed and they don't want to be associated with that. So Facebook will feel it in the results. What are the lessons that um, African governments as well as uh, internet users can uh, draw uh, from uh, this scandal, Mr. Goldstock? I think the key lessons uh, to be learned are that individuals' uh, privacy and their right to understand how they data is being used and how they're being communicated to is paramount. You find in countries like China, the government doesn't really care about this and the prevailing approach is censorship of the citizen. But in a true democracy, you want the opposite. You want their privacy protected. So one needs regulation that protects privacy rather than allows the abuse of citizenry. That is Arthur Goldstock, South Africa's IT and communications specialist, talking there to Kumbero Mujarele. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says South Africans must seek to emulate the late stalwart Winnie Matigizela Mandela by honoring her legacy. Ramaphosa was speaking at the memorial service for Matigizela Mandela in her rural town of Mbizana in the Eastern Cape province. More than 12,000 people attended the service. Since her death at the beginning of the month, the memorial services across the country have been held and continue to be hosted in her honor. Tutongobeni compiled the following report. Ramaphosa was joined by the provincial leadership led by Premier Pumulo Masaule and also paid a visit to the late struggle Star Wars home at Mbongweni, which is about 60 kilometers from Bizana. Ramaphosa says Matigizela Mandela dedicated her life to others. In recognition of the role Mama Winnie played in building the ANC and our nation, we have gathered here to make an unequivocal statement that whilst we mourn Umamuini for her passing away, we are also here to celebrate her life because it was a life that was well-lived and selflessly dedicated to the improvement of the conditions of others. He also paid tribute to Chris Hani, Solomon Matlangu and Oliver Tambo. Even in this regard, the month of April imposed its political significance by claiming amongst those freedom fighters the most celebrated giants of our revolution. We remember and pay tribute to Chris Tembisile Hani, whose life was brutally cut short by unrepentant apartheid apologists exactly 25 years ago today, in this very month of April. Comrade Chris was indeed a fearless revolutionary whose radical ideas made the apartheid regime very, very uncomfortable. We also remember the gallant Solomon Kalushi Matlangu, who never betrayed the cause of freedom even when quite literally confronted with death, we pay homage to the unparalleled icon of our struggle who also hails from Bizana, our longest serving president, Isitwalandwe, Comrade Oliver Reginald Tambo. Ramaphosa says Matigizela Mandela was happy about some of the resolutions taken at the 54th conference of the party which was held last December. She was very happy about some of the resolutions that we took at the 54th national conference of the ANC. She was particularly happy about the resolutions that form the backbone of our program of radical socio-economic transformation, particularly the one that deals with the expropriation of land without compensation. He says in her honor, people must seek to emulate her. As we continue honoring her legacy, we must seek to emulate her by being honest and hard-working servants 
of the people of South Africa, like Umamwini, we must have the courage to speak truth to power when we see that things are clearly going wrong. Because Umamwini, she always had the courage and the strength and the resolve to speak truth to power. We must work, yes indeed, to renew this movement, to unite this ANC and make it an effective instrument in the hands of our people, yes, to transform the country that she so loved. Thousands of mourners are expected to ascend on the grounds of Olanda Stadium, southwest of Johannesburg, on Wednesday to bid the apartheid activists goodbye at the main memorial service. She will be laid to rest this Saturday the 14th in Johannesburg. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tuto Ngobeni. Channel Africa. Remember Mama Winima Tigizela Mandela. From an African perspective. African perspective. Namzamo Winnie Mandela My life was always determined by the political situation of the time. I led a day-to-day existence which was determined by the security guards of the day. I was in and out of prison almost every month, if not every week. And the consequence of that was the children were always left alone. Those were perhaps the cruelest moments which have left an indelible mark in my heart. Mother of the nation, see her love. Welcome back. You are still with Africa Digest here on Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. Uh, remember, you can keep in touch with us, info at channelafrica.co.za on email and also Channel Africa 1 on uh, on Twitter, Channel Africa, the numerical one. Now, a delegation of ambassadors have today visited the home of the late Mama Winima Tigizela Mandela in Orlando West in Soweto to pay their respect and also extend condolences from their prospective countries. To discuss this further, we are now joined on the line by the Dean of the Diplomatic Corps and the DRC's ambassador to South Africa, that is uh, Ambassador Ben Mpoko. Ambassador, good afternoon and welcome to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us, Sen. Now, what message did you take to Mama Winnie Mantegizela Mandela's home today? Well, as uh, you just stated, uh, we wanted to pay our respect to the family first and, uh, of course, uh, uh, share their grief with us uh, because uh, Mama Winnie was, was not just a South African icon. She was an international icon. Um, the uh, fight that she led was known around the world. She had people admiring her from all corners of the planet. So it was only fitting that the diplomatic corps uh, would go to Soweto uh, to pay its respect to, to the family of uh, the late Manawi Mandela. I'm pretty sure that in your line of work you have had a chance to interact with Mama Winnie on more than one occasion. What mom, what memories can you share with the, with the Channel Africa listeners of those interactions? Well, I interacted with her a lot because uh, she was always interested in helping the youth, the African, uh, young Africans coming to South Africa. And uh, she was also wondering what to do uh, with the young people around the continent. Uh, I'm from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and I know that uh, uh, we need to adopt some children from the DRC, and she was caring for them. Although she had a a large family of her own, uh, she also took care of the children from the continent. So we uh, interacted uh, a lot with her, uh, and uh, the 
young African was just beyond me because uh, herself had gone through a lot. And uh, as I said, she herself had a large family, extended family, but she didn't forget the children from other parts of the, 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 the continent. Speaking of young people, Ambassador, do you think that uh, young people in Africa are aware of Mamama Tigisela Mandela and, and what she represents, represented in the future and what re- she represents currently? I'm not sure the young generations uh, in the recent years have been uh, following uh, the kind of fight that uh, she uh, engaged into. I think her story needs to be told, uh, to be told uh, several times in a different ways. Because she herself, as you know, she sacrificed her youth because uh, she was determined uh, to fight the, the evil system of apartheid uh, from very early age. She, she sacrificed everything. She sacrificed youth. She sacrificed her life. She sacrificed everything uh, for the, 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 the sake of uh, the, the liberation movement here in South Africa. So, um, and, and, and she won that fight. Um, in spite of the fact that she was humiliated, she was mistreated, she was jailed, uh, and, and so forth, uh, she didn't give up. She, she, she remained committed from a very younger age. And I think young people today need to be told this, that if you put your mind into something, uh, you stay the course until the final victory. And this is a message that you need to be shared by the young people today. Now, before we let you go, Ambassador, in your own words, how would you sum up the legacy or the the person that is Mama Nomsamo Matigizela Mandela? Well, the, the only way we can sum up the legacy is to, to, uh, to me, the African Union, South African, any country in Africa, people should build the monuments about Mama Winnie Mandela because the when uh, we see the defined fist of hers, we see the beautiful smile of hers, they should not be buried with her. I think her legacy should remain, I think, a monument uh, to that, that depicting her uh, in the middle of uh, the struggle should be built in her name so that uh, her legacy will live forever. It's not something that we should bury today just because she's being buried uh, this week. Absolutely. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Ambassador. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. That is Dean of the Diplomatic Corps and DRC's Ambassador to South Africa. That is Ambassador Ben Mpoko joining us on the line there to talk about the late Mama Matigizela Mandela, who will be laid to rest uh, on uh, Saturday, the 14th of April 2018, as well as a, a major, major government funeral will be happening tomorrow. That is uh, here in South Africa at the Orlando Stadiums. Do tune into Channel Africa for that. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. Freedom Fighter, Mother, Mother. Natural. Channel Africa remembers Mama Winnie Matikizela Mandela. Welcome back. Now, for the first time ever, donations by South African philanthropists for education has exceeded income from their international counterparts. The donors are made up of corporates, individuals, and non-governmental organizations. Figures by the latest annual survey of philanthropy in higher education has, however, found major disparities in funding streams. It states that about six universities received 90% of the funds, while the other 10 only, while others received only 10%. Nasli Abraham's program director at the non-governmental organization Inyatelo explains. South African donors are giving to higher education more than they have before. And in fact, the number of South African donors to higher education in South Africa have increased and have um, in fact surpassed international donors. Now, the contribution made by international donors is still more than local donations. But the fact that people are giving in larger numbers it's very, very encouraging. It's corporate, it's individuals, it's alums, it's across the board. It's that the numbers are good also, possibly because universities that are part of the survey are also recording their um, income a little differently. It is so, encouraging, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, the private sector has increased its contributions very dramatically from 94 million in 2013 to 235 million in 2016. That's quite a significant jump. 
Give us a sense of the uh, the number of institutions that were used for this survey. Was it a, a national survey or does it only focus on, on certain provinces? No, this is a national uh, countrywide survey and really we ask um, institutions to participate um, at their own free will. So this, um, this study um, really looks at 12 institutions and it's a really, um, it's a good spread. So we're looking at universities of technology, traditional universities, and we're looking sort of across the board. So just, um, we've got um, CPUT, UCT, DUT, UFS, UJ, UKZN, UPSU, TUT, UWC, WITS, and UNIZULU. So it's, it's a good spread. And we would love for all of the universities to participate, but um, we universities have come on board um, as they felt ready to um, take on some of the rigor of the survey. Mm. Speak to us about how the funds are then being distributed um, among the different institutions. And as we know that there are disparities uh, that have been found where other institutions have received more money uh, than others. So when we look at the overall amount of philanthropic income to South African higher education, what we see is sort of that maintaining of the status quo. And by that I mean is 90% of the South African donor funding goes to traditional universities. And by traditional, we really are talking about previously advantaged universities, with 10% going to other universities, when really in terms of mean previously disadvantaged universities. So for us, that's something we really need to be mindful of, and we really need to think about how we try and shift some of those things. Mm. Um, if, if anything, it's really just, it's almost a bit of a, um, a commentary on where things are at the moment. That is Nazli Abraham. She's the program director at the non-governmental organization Inyatelo, talking there to Khumuzo Mupulani. Now, this month marks 150th anniversary of the Battle of Magdala, when Britain sent a nearly 40,000 strong force to Ethiopia. It was after Emperor Theodoros II took some Britons hostage. The British soldiers, soldiers won the battle and made off with precious treasure. More than 10 years ago, Ethiopia launched a formal claim to get the, the loot returned. Some of the artifacts have just gone on display at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, and there are hints that they might soon be on their way back to Ethiopia. The BBC's Africa editor, Meru Harper, reports. I'm delighted to welcome you all here this evening to the V&A's Silver Galleries and to the the silver galleries in the V&A Museum are an unlikely setting for the Ethiopian treasure. It's just a taste of all that was plundered. It took 15 elephants and 200 mules to take it all away. There are Ethiopian crosses, ancient prayer books in leather satchels, exquisite scrolls and the Queen's wedding dress. Alexandra Jones is the exhibition's curator. The centre of the display is this crown and chalice, which are probably the most famous objects in the display. I mean, this crown is just absolutely phenomenal. It's quite tall and the golden filigree, very, very fine work on it. It almost looks like a piece of golden lace. It does, yes, and the, and the beautiful filigree designs are something we see later on also in the, the Queen's jewellery as well, and it's sort of a recurring um, theme, I think, in, in Ethiopian metalwork. And the chalice has this beautiful Amharic inscription on it, which tells us that it was given to a church in Gondar in the 1740s. Ethiopians have long campaigned to have the ancient treasure returned. The director of the museum, Tristram Hunt, says giving the items back would involve a legal minefield. The ability to give away items in our collection is legally very difficult. What is much easier and swifter is to agree on a long-term loan which would see these items go to Ethiopia to an institution which has the, the right conditions to ensure that these items, which are 250 years old, continue to give people joy and happiness and those who see them. And I've always felt we should be honest about our history, honest, open and transparent. And the V&A is an institution born of an imperial past and we should be very clear about our collections and the story behind them. So what does Ethiopia make of this offer? Its ambassador to the UK is Haile Mikael Afewerk. He says Ethiopia is perfectly capable of looking after the hundreds of objects stored in the V&A and other British cultural institutions. For millennia, Ethiopians have been custodians of their cultural heritage. In modern times, 
the management protection has also been supported by universities in Ethiopia who are providing training and research. The people of Ethiopia attach very great importance to their cultural heritage. Alongside the treasure is a photograph of a mournful-looking young boy, Prince Alemahu, the son of Emperor Tedros. Rather than being taken prisoner by the British, Tedros killed himself. Seven-year-old Alemahu was taken to Britain, where he attracted the interest of Queen Victoria. He died aged 18 and was buried at Windsor Castle. The British-based Ethiopian poet Lem Sise says it's time for his remains to be taken home. Of all of the riches here, of all of the beauty here, a living human being, he deserves to, for his remains to go back to Ethiopia, back to where he was stolen from. That is my mission, that in my lifetime, that in some way the compassion of the British and the eagerness of the Ethiopians together will allow those remains to go back to Ethiopia. Although it may take years, it looks like real steps are being taken to at least lend some of the treasure back to Ethiopia. And maybe, just maybe, the remains of the young prince will one day find their final resting place. That report there by the BBC's Mary Harper brings us to 29 minutes before 6 Central African Tenders. Get your headlines. Here's Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Luanda. Making headlines, a committee of lawmakers in Zimbabwe is expected to summon former President Robert Mugabe to testify at a probe into lost revenue from diamond mining. The United Nations says thousands of people are being detained and tortured by armed groups in Libya. And finally, over 70 ambassadors and heads of missions have paid tribute to the late South African struggle veteran Wini Matigizela Mandela. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. You have laid a great foundation. The struggle for total liberation continues. Welcome back. It's uh, almost 23 minutes before 6 Central African time. You are still with Africa Digest giving you news from an African perspective. My name is Luanda Maume. I am your standing host for today. Spumele Lezondi is definitely back tomorrow in the in the afternoon to join us. And uh, you are still with Africa Digest, as I said. And uh, now, let's get on to our next story now. The World Bank has released the 11th edition of the South African Economic Update. The report reviews the recent economic developments and assesses South Africa's near-term economic prospects, as well as offering a special focus piece on an issue, on an issue affecting the economy. This particular edition focuses on jobs and inequality. Now, to discuss this further, we are joined in studio now by S- Sebastian Dusu, World, World, World Bank Program Leader for Equitable Growth, Finance and Institutions. Mr. Dusu, thank you very much for joining us on Channel Africa. Thank you very much. Welcome. Now, take us through the process of putting a, a together a report of this nature. What goes into it? So it, it takes a lot of um, analysis, uh, data crunching, uh, trying to understand the real stories behind uh, what's going on in South Africa and, and projecting ourselves in the future. We really try to understand what is coming next and how to improve the trajectory of South African economy mm. to create more jobs and to reduce inequality. That's the, that's the main focus of this report, the relationship between jobs, labor markets and inequality. Take us through some of the main findings. So, so we are projecting growth in the next two years, and we are saying there is some rebound in confidence. There is uh, mm. there's some some little rebound, but fundamentally, uh, things will not radically change unless um, uh, the economy becomes much more inclusive. Mm. And what it means uh, uh, for labor market, it means that to be able to provide skills to the poor, mm. better education, 
so that they can really participate to the economy, which demands skills. And that's the way to reduce inequalities. Inequalities have been growing in South Africa because there's a skill mismatch. The, de- the, the economy is demanding high, high skills, mm. uh, but most of the poor cannot opt- offer those skills. So you've, se- you've seen mm. an increase in, equa- mm. in inequalities, which comes from wage inequality. We need to redress that because otherwise growth will not be sustained for a long time and will not be higher because people will not participate to it, but also because inequality, which are very, very high in South Africa, create a lot of policy uncertainty. Because there is such an inequality in this society and, and very strong political rights at the same time, mm. people are demanding, I think rightly so, uh, t- some, some redistribution, some ways mm. to redistribute the wealth, the opportunities, etc. And when you're an investor on the other, s- on the other side, mm. uh, you see that threat. And I think that reduces your appetite to invest in a country because you don't know if you're going to be expropriated, you don't know if you're going to be taxed. So to reduce that pressure, you need to reduce inequalities. Yeah, it, that brings it me to my next question. Would you say then that the the fact that now South Africa is is going through has has literally passed a motion to expropriate su- things such as land without compensation? Would would this be causing a, a, a bit of apprehension to investors? I, w- I would imagine yes, it creates apprehension for investor. I think I think land is very symbolic, and we don't know the the way things go- are going to be uh, reviewed at the constitution mm. and mm. implemented thereafter. And it's and it's still a small part of the economy in reality. Uh, the GDP in agriculture is two to three percent. What really matters to reduce inequalities is, jo- is jobs. That's the main income of most of the people. Ninety percent of the people rely on jobs if they could mm. and that's if you want really want to reduce inequalities you need to reduce inequalities in skills so that everybody can participate to 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 to, to the economy in a in a in a fruitful way mm. yeah. now how much of the latest developments in the country things such as the the changing of the guard with the new president Cyril Ramaphosa that is seen as a, an investor friendly president how much of that was factored in in terms of how the the conclusions of your, of your report it is factored in in the sense that it provides a new opportunity to revisit a few things. Uh, there are things that needed to be done just to to maintain the situation for from unraveling further. For instance, mm. uh, adherence to to some principle of debt stabilization or fiscal stability are very important, mm. or economic governance in SOEs are very important. Uh, this is very important. I think what is very important as well is the summit that were announced by the president, mm. where. Uh, that really shows the need to to rebuild a social contract in South Africa. And because the inequalities, I mean, if you want to reduce inequalities, everybody needs to participate to it, no? The, the public sector, the private sector, the labor unions, everybody needs to agree on a path to reduce inequalities over time. It will take a long time. It will be difficult, but there's not so many ways. So so we we are taking all this into account. I mean, th- it's, it's time to revisit a few issues, etc. But what we are saying too uh, is that and it's, this is why our, our growth pro- forecast for 18 is not very is not very high, maybe lower than many others. At 1.4, maybe we were wrong, but we because we don't see yet that this confidence is being translated into investment decision, for instance. And what we are saying that fundamentally, if you want to grow faster and in a more sustainable way, you need to be much more inclusive. And we are offering some solutions. Or we are proposing mm. some solutions in education, basic education, but also access. Uh, financial support to access to education for the poorer students, special integration, mm. ways to reduce the, the distance between jobs and, and where people live. Mm. Uh, that will reduce a lot inequality. I would imagine the report uh, gives, as it, 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 it uh, diagnoses some of these issues, mm. it also comes up with some, some sort of recommendations. Can you just take us through some of those? So, so, so this is exactly what we are doing. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are trying to assess the impact of various policies over the long run. Mm. They have benefits, but they also have costs because you have to finance them. For instance, if you want to invest in the um, more affordable, quicker uh, transportation system, uh, if you want to densify your cities so that people get closer to job markets, you need to create new housing. All this is costly. That's a one. So we are doing. We are looking at those issues. We are looking at. Free education for the poorest students. It's costly as well, but it reduces a lot of inequalities. Mm. We're looking at be improving the quality of basic education for children in the poorest, back in poorest uh, segment of the society. Mm. Uh, those things will reduce a lot of inequalities. And that's one block of intervention that we are recommending. And we think it should be also complemented with interventions that would stimulate growth, even if they don't reduce inequality 
in themselves, in the short term, but yes. they will create more and more demand, and they will create the financing also for the government to implement the pro-equity reforms. Uh, on the whole, the, the structural reforms that South Africa is currently undertaking are not necessarily a bad thing, but they are, they are not responding quick enough. They are, they, that's why they are, I think we, we are seeing, for instance, that, we, uh, that all the work which is being done, all the efforts which have been made to put children at school in the last two decades, they will pay off over time in terms of reducing inequalities because the children the, from the poor segment eventually will come to the labor market. Mm. Not in many numbers, but, it, but more than before. So it, it will change the composition and the distribution of, la- of skilled labor income over time. So what we are projecting is a decline in inequalities over time, a small decline. Mm. And we are saying that this can be accelerated. And so there are a number of structural reforms that we are thinking are in going in the right direction. Mm. There's a lot of effort also that we are supporting at the World Bank, for instance, to try to make the cities work better for everybody. Uh, but we think that some of them can be accelerated. Yeah. Mm. Now, in terms of going forward, what are the things that South Africa should be focusing on in the short term to make sure that there is a, a, a favorable view or from an investor sitting there so that the, the investor uh, confidence in South Africa is not impacted? So if you listen to rating agencies that in a sense are conveying the perception of investors because they are mm. working for mm. them, no? Mm. Uh, they've been saying all along that um, uh, the fiscal situation had been an issue. Uh, especially through the SOE, through the uh, public, uh, public, publicly owned enterprise, state owned uh, enterprises, state yes. enterprises, SOEs, yes. Uh, I think this is being addressed. Uh, the governance of these SOEs is being addressed, uh, and the budget is, re- is reflective of that. That's a very good thing to do in the short term. Another thing that we think is important to do in the short term is to make sure that uh, uh, free tertiary education is done in such a way that it it, it prioritizes of the poorest students for equity reasons but also for affordability reasons mm. if you cannot ad- if you cannot support everybody today you should start with the poorest and also because there is a, uh, there is a timing issue in terms of the you need at the same time to work with university to increase their absorptive capacity because you want to maintain the quality of your of your university you don't want to bring too many students mm. at the expense of the quality of the mm. of, of the mm. education mm. so these things are important to be done in, in the short run what you can do too in the short run because there is still a, a, a lack of skills what we call a skills constraint in the economy that prevent a lot of activities uh, in the ICT sector in innovation, etc. And, 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 and the government thinks about this is to facilitate uh, immigration of skilled workers. Mm. Mm. It, it may just simply mean uh, making, uh, easier, uh, making it easier for students who have, st- foreign students who have studied in South Africa to stay and start working as opposed to be asked to, to, to leave after mm. their studies mm. or to bring in families with, with skilled workers. It might take just maybe for five years and you can revisit uh, your visa policy. This is what the government is, is trying to do with its white policy paper on immigration. So, so that's something that would relax the skills constraint in the short run. That's another thing they can do. Now, I wouldn't be wrong to, to if I captured you as such by saying that things are not necessary. Things are looking up, but they are not very positive. But they are not. It's not doom and gloom either. Yeah, I, I would say. Fi- I mean, uh, South Africa, new South Africa, is is a, is a very young country, and it's uh, and and inequalities, the, the the structural challenges that you've inherited from the from the pre-democracy period are immense. Mm. Uh, so things will take time, and it, 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 it yeah, you cannot expect enormous uh, uh, immense change, significant mm. change in the very short run. It takes it will take a long time to. To improve, I think things are going in the right way. Sometimes they can be revisited a bit or accelerated a bit, uh, but it's going to be a long challenge. It's gonna be so a long basically, challenge. it's all hands on deck for everyone. <laughs> yeah, everybody has to do his own, his own part. Yeah. Sebastian, thank you very much for taking thank time you. to talk to us. Thank you. That is Sebastian Dusu. He's the World Bank Program Leader for Equitable Growth, Finance and Institution. And he's also co-author of this report, the 11th edition that we are talking about of the South Africa Economic Update. That brings us to 16 minutes before 6 Central African time. We take a short break. On the other side of that, we study Matebula is here with the Economics Update. A real lioness in the struggle for liberation. Struggle for liberation. Rest in peace, mother of the nation.
The struggle for total liberation continues. A real lioness in the struggle for liberation. Rest in peace, mother of the nation. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks, uh, Luyanda. South African economy is improving, but its recovery remains below that of other emerging markets. A new World Bank report expects uh, GDP to grow slowly at 1.4% in 2018 and 1.8% in 2019, reaching almost 2% in 2020. The South African Reserve Bank leading uh, business cycle indicator rose in the last quarter of 2017, supporting the case for further improvement. The bank says higher potential growth will require ambitious structural reforms. Amina Akram reports. The report shows that although some green shoots are starting to show, it questions the sustainability of this improved growth. The bank argues that consumption will likely continue as the main driver of growth and tailwinds from the agricultural sector are expected to taper off into 2018. However, the report warns that the country's growth potential is limited as unemployment and inequality remains high. South Africa is projected to remain largely below the average growth rate of 4.5% this year, lagging behind its peers. Amina Akram, SABC News, Johannesburg. Meanwhile, analysts are disappointed with the slow growth in South Africa's manufacturing output. The latest data released by Statistics South Africa shows that manufacturing production increased marginally by 0.6% in February compared to the same time last year. Nedbank economist Nikki Weimar says uh, that uh, the slow growth was as a result of a decline in steel, chemicals and food products. February's manufacturing figures were very disappointing. We saw that uh, manufacturing output growth slowed to only 0.6% on a year-on-year basis, and this is from 2.3% growth in January. Um, And it was mainly the result of a fairly sharp decline in manufacturing output in February itself, where we saw sharp declines in steel products, your chemicals, as well as food products. To North Africa now in Tunisia, where the country plans to recover 2.72 billion US dollars of bad loans in three public banks as part of its uh, banking reforms. Banking reform was required by the International Monetary Fund, which agreed in 2016 to assist Tunisia with a four-year loan program with about $2.8 billion. In 2015, the government injected $400 million to recapitalize struggling state lenders, Societe Tunisie de Banqueur, STB, Banque Nationale Agricole, BNA, and Bank de E-Habitat, BH. The North African country is in the midst of an economic slump and under pressure from foreign donors to cut a bloated public payroll and a budget deficit. South African Treasury has announced its head of economic policy, Munale Ratsoma, will be leaving to head up the BRICS Bank. Ratsoma, who served at Treasury as Director General in charge of policy formulation, has been appointed Director General of the BRICS New Development Bank's African Regional Centre. Tepo Mungwai reports. The appointment is effective from 16th April and is expected that the bank will issue around 4 billion worth of project finance by end of 2018. A number of infrastructure projects are in the pipeline. Ratsoma will be managing the bank's regional operations and leading its effort in project preparation, implementation and portfolio management. Sapomungwai, SABC News, Johannesburg. And the South African High Court sitting in Cape Town has granted businessman Johan Rupert a final interdict to prevent social movement Black First Land First from occupying a number of his farms across the Western, Western Cape province. Lawyers for the Rupert family applied for the interdict last year after BLF allegedly conceded the unlawful invasion of farms, including the prestigious farm. Lomarie, a Rupert's lawyer, 
Richard Marcus say they won't be asking BLF to pay the legal costs of the application. Information was received that there would be a possible land invasion of these, of these companies and their farms. Uh, we approached the court last year. We obtained an interim order then uh, on service to the BLF and its various officials. Uh, we have since been engaged with them and negotiated with them and hence the order was taken by agreement this morning. Financial indicators, uh, the dollar at uh, 12.45, South African rands at uh, 9.46, Botswana Pula 9.36, Zambian Kwacha. Against BRICS currencies, uh, the dollar is at 3.38, Brazilian Real at 59.43, Russian Ruble and 64.77 Indian Rupee and at 6.3 Chinese Yuan. Also trading at 70 pence to the British pound and 81 cents against the euro. Commodities gold at $1,334, platinum at $935 per fine ounce. The spot price of Brent crude oil is now at $68.90 per barrel. Channel Africa will be streaming the official national memorial service for the late struggle icon Winnie Madikizela Mandela on Wednesday, the 11th of April. The stream will be live on both the station's website as well as Facebook. Follow the proceedings on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel Africa's Facebook account. And that's your economics news right now. Good day, sports fans. I am Osibudi Makura with the latest sports news at the Sawa. And starting off at the Commonwealth Games, our South African star, Kasta Semenya, was at her scintillating best as she won the gold medal in the women's 1,500 meter earlier this afternoon. Now, Semenya raced to her first major 1,500 meter title, smashing Zolabad's 34-year national record. In the process, Semenya stopped the clock in a new Games and South African record of 4 minutes and 7 21 seconds, while Kenya's Beatrice Kipjong took silver, while Wales Melissa Courtney finished in third position. Now, Simenya will take her on the track in the heat of a favoured distance. That is the 800-metre event on Thursday, and uh, with the hope of winning a gold medal, with the final scheduled for Friday. Meanwhile, South Africa rounded off a hugely successful campaign in the pool by adding another two medals to their total today at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. That took their combined total in the pool to 12 medals after Chad Leclerc had won four individual medals. Tatiana Schoonemarker having claimed two gold medals, Cameron van der Berg winning a gold and a bronze medal, as well as a medal each for Ryan Kutsia, Christian Sedi, as well as Brad Tadley. Now that brings South Africa Africa's medal tally to 21 medals on day six of the championships and uh, staying in fifth position on the medals tables. Staying in Australia, Springbok Sevens coach Neil Powell believes that the young Blitzborger team's performance in finishing third at the Hong Kong Sevens has raised the bar for his side ahead of this weekend's defence at the Commonwealth Games gold medal. Now the Blitzborger sent a second string side made up of young players for uh, from the academy under the guidance of Marius Schoenman um, um, to Hong Kong and surprised many as they finished third, beating England, Scotland as well as New Zealand on the weekend and pushing eventual champions Fiji close to a 26-24 loss in the semi-finals. Now, Powell believes that the youngsters have put their hands up underlining um, their perf- um, importance rather of a good performance at this weekend's Commonwealth Games 7th tournament that gets underway. On to cricket news, Australia will return to Africa in July, three months after their controversial tour of South Africa when they take part in a triangular T20 series with Pakistan in Zimbabwe. Now, David Warner was captain of Australia's T20 team but is suspended for 12 months and from ever being captain of any Australian team again after the incident in Cape Town last month. Now, each team will play four matches in the round-robin format from the 1st of July up until the 6th with the top two teams meeting 
meeting in the final two days later. All fixtures will be hosted at the Harare Sports Club. Pakistan, they stay on for a five-match one-day international series against Zimbabwe at the Queen's Club in Bulawayo between the 13th up until the 22nd of July. Now, Zimbabwe failed last month to qualify for next year's World Cup in England despite uh, hosting the qualifying competition. And finally, in golf news, golfer Patrick Reed enjoyed his victory lap around New York after winning the 2018 U.S. Masters, his first major golf championship. Now, after appearing at the New York Stock Exchange earlier in the day, Reed climbed to the top of the Empire State, Bu- um, State Building to pose for photographs, donning his green jacket, a symbol of Augusta National Award to the champion of the Masters tournament. Now, Reed defeated another foe, his fear of heights, for a tour around New York that he described as a dream come true after his one-stroke victory over Ricky Fowler on Sunday. The first person I thought of was my wife. You know, how much she uh, she has sacrificed and how much she has been there for me, you know, throughout my professional career. And, uh, you know, to think right when I turned professional, her and I were driving around in a car playing Monday qualifiers and, you know, just trying to make it out on tour. And, you know, for her to be there for my first win and, you know, and caddying for me that first year on tour and, and to get our first victory. And, you know, for her favorite number to be number six and, you know, my sixth tournament I won was, was my first major. It, 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 it's just, you know, it was a dream come true. I mean, it just seemed like a, a perfect story. Everything kind of fell in place. And, you know, to be able to, you know, say that my first major, you know, was my sixth win and, you know, it's my, favorite, my wife's favorite number. It just, you know, it, it, it couldn't have played out any better for me. This is Sports News at the Sour. I'm back with more sports news just before 8 p.m. Central African time. This is Africa Digest. Let's say thank you very much there to Musubidi with the spot. Now let's take a quick recap of your top stories. South African president calls on everyone to emulate the late struggle stalwart Winema Tigizela Mandela. IT specialist says allegations that data, my, data analysis firm Cambridge Analytica might have influenced some elections in Africa should be taken seriously. That brings us to the end of the show for this hour from myself, your host, Luanda Maume, technical producer, Wiseman Mangane, and the rest of the team. Thank you for listening. Send us an email, info to channelafrica.co.za and WhatsApp on plus 2776-300-3327 and on Twitter at Channel Africa One. We leave you with the music of Mbongeningema and Sarafina. This one is called Lizobuya. Don't know, Lizzo, boo, yeah, I'm done,